Chapter 5, Part 1 of 40,000 Miles Over Land and Water. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Wayne Cook. 40,000 Miles Over Land and Water by Ethel Gwendolyn Vincent. To the Far West. It was ten o'clock on Monday, the 11th of August, when we arrived at the station of the Baltimore and Ohio Railroad, which was to take us to Chicago. We had great difficulty in threading our way amongst several hundreds of negresses bent on a religious excursion. At first the train followed the winding course of the Potomac through a fertile country, but presently we were going through a mountain gorge, wooded and precipitous, through which the river rushed and foamed. We crossed an iron bridge over the river to Harper's Ferry, the culminating point of a very beautiful mountain scene. As the train drew up at the wooden station, the absolute stillness, broken only by the sound of rushing waters, enhanced the spell of the mountains, which seemed to close us in on all sides. At Cumberland, the country then changed to long undulating hills, and soon after a halt was called and dinner served at the station. When further on a second engine was attached, a pleasurable excitement prevailed throughout the cars, and there was an underhand scuffle for the right-hand side of the carriage. We were approaching the glorious range of the Alleghenies, and preparing to cross the mountains. It was a wild scene of the greatest beauty, the glorious solitude of the vast range, broken only by the hideous shriek of the engine as we climbed the side suspended over a fathomless precipice. As we rose, the view extended over many mountain tops, a panoramic scene of great extent and beauty. We were going up a gradient of sixteen feet to the mile for eighteen miles, with curves so sharp that the middle of the train was doubled inwards or outwards until we and the last car were almost parallel to the engine. We were hanging halfway out of the windows, and in full enjoyment of the glorious view, when a sharp angle cruelly shut it all out, and the summit was reached. I was glad that the scene changed so completely at once. So often the full effect of some specially beautiful masterpiece is spoiled by a gradual preparation nature working herself up as she goes along but here the transition is sudden and the open park-like spaces present a gentle contrast golden as they were then in the setting sun it seemed as if the beautiful part of our journey was over when we found ourselves on a yet steeper ascent and if the other was lovely far more so was this one Grand and gloomy the mountain stood above us. A line of silver and a gentle rushing sound alone told us of the presence of the Cheat River, coursing many hundred feet below through a chasm in the rocks. The pine forests around us whispered softly, some of their blackened trunks, hideous and deformed, waving their ghost-like and withered arms close to the line, tell of the fury of the storms confined in these narrow mountain gorges. In the growing dusk we rushed with maddening and increasing speed down into the valley, 
the glowing furnaces of a manufacturing village sending out a ruddy glow into the dark night we passed the night in the pullman sleeping car and i slept soundly indeed there is no reason why you should not do so in these sleepers the upper berth lets down from the roof a sliding partition and an ample curtain forms a section and there are mattresses pillows and blankets to form a very comfortable bed whilst the black porter produces clean sheets and pillowcases dressing and undressing in a sitting posture requires dexterity which comes with practice and nothing is more amusing than looking down the length of the car to see the mysterious heaving and bulging of the curtains and the protruding arms and legs i think the general scramble for the ladies toilette in the chill of the early morning is perhaps the worst part of a night in the cars how i got to hage the large fringes and crimps bandeau of the american ladies which required such an undue amount of care and time and curling at chicago junction we were hurried out of the pullman into one of the ordinary cars this met a carriage dirty as a london metropolitan third class crowded with thirty people of all degrees we had been dreading our long journey to the far west of which this was the first stage and our fears were being realized terribly hot and wearisome was the long day stopping at every small station very dusty tired and hot were we as we skirted the blue shores of lake michigan at seven p m and neared the end of our journey passing for the last four miles through hyde park a suburb of chicago we thought ourselves in the greatest luxury when we arrived at length at the grand pacific hotel chicago august thirteenth chicago as the americans softly pronounce it is the great commercial capital of the west receiving as it does the chief bulk of the enormous grain-producing country lying to the westward therefore do its streets present no fine buildings except those of mercantile banks business offices and warehouses and therefore are its streets blocked with drays and wagons and present generally a bustling activity the streets are laid out with blocks of stone and perhaps it is the best kind of pavement after all regarding health more than comfort we found the wood pavement not being properly kept was far from pleasant in hot weather the same might be said of the broad asphalt avenues of washington which under a blazing sun perfumed the air with a pungent smell of tar after the great fire of october eighteen seventy one chicago rose like a phoenix from its ashes a curious calculation resulted in the discovery that in the period of six months one building from four to six stories high was completed each hour in a day of eight working hours it certainly presents an unprecedentedly rapid growth and the population entirely keeps pace with it chicago is just settling down after the intense excitement of the convention held here only the other day when blaine was chosen as the republican candidate and cleveland by the democrats every four years the whole country is convulsed with these presidential elections a tenure of office far too short to allow for any settled policy to attain maturity the country is blazoned with portraits of the rival candidates debased often to the use of advertisements as when mr blaine who is dyspeptic 
is seen standing by a bottle as big as himself of tippecandy the newspapers resound throughout the country with their mutual vituperations blaine is corrupt cried the democrats cleveland is immoral retort the republicans party warfare descends even to the shape of the hat in new york we had several times noticed the predominating number of tall white hats it was explained that they were blaine's followers whereas cleveland's wore a whiter brim in a brown felt in america where every adult male be he a householder or not has a vote politics have a whiter range and are discussed eagerly amongst all classes we got at last to have quite a national interest and should like to have been in america during the final struggle coming in november we went to see the central grain elevator at a large warehouse which raises weighs and stores several thousand bushels of grain daily the working of the machinery is somewhat complicated but one of the vats into which four wooden troughs converge and pour their contents holds seventy feet of grain which is afterwards shot down by machinery into railway wagons waiting in a siding below it was five miles to the stockyards which really constitute the great side of chicago the cable cars running so swiftly and silently as if by magic by means of invisible underground machinery down state street conveyed us thither and back for the modest sum of fivepence the yards with their well-filled pens on either side presented a wild appearance droves of cattle were being driven by men on horseback galloping and cracking their long whips with the curious wooden stirrups and peaked saddle of old spanish mexican make we threaded our way through them to armor and companies one of the largest establishments where daily many thousands of pigs sheep and oxen are purchased killed cut up cooked salted and packed in the shortest possible space of time we were allowed to wander about the reeking blood-stained floors and thoroughly sickened and fearful that every turn would reveal more bloody horrors i stopped opposite a gory pile of horns being carted away whilst c went to see the oxen killed he described how they are driven in single file through a narrow passage into separate pens over the top of which runs a board plank on which the gentleman who does the shooting stands with a small rifle the poor beast looks up a second after his admission to the pen and the rifle bullet fells him instantly stone dead the further door is opened and the carcass is dragged away by cords to the cutting-up room there could be no more merciful mode of killing without any unnecessary brutality we were told that they stopped killing hogs at noon every day these have their throats cut some say they are guillotined by machinery and it is possible that half an hour after the pig has been squealing in the pen it will be neatly packed in one of those enormous stacks of tins which we passed on our way out we went for a stroll in the evening and found the shop windows swarmed over by a species of brown moth with long bodies and gauzy wings called canadian soldiers they come from the shores of the lake and are quite harmless buzzing around the electric lights to their own destruction a clock showing the various times of the different capitals in europe 
carried us back in thoughts to london which at that moment would be sleeping like a city of the dead dawn only beginning to break there is about six hours difference in time and yesterday we lost an hour in going from the thirtieth meridian to the forty-sixth august fourteenth a very sultry morning and to refresh us before starting on our journey of two days and two nights in the cars we had a charming drive in lincoln park along the shores of the lake broad gravelled paths bordered with trees numberless flower-beds dotted about and a sheet of water formed one of the prettiest parks imaginable south park leading from michigan avenue is still finer and altogether chicago possesses six of these beautiful parks dedicated to the use of the people returning home through the suburbs we passed the waterworks the door was standing open free to all comers perhaps ready to inspire some child's mind with a taste for machinery how different to our ideas and through it we saw the magnificent cylinders revolving to the roof of the building and the tiny wheels and cogs all performing their appointed motions the water is supplied from the crib through a tunnel running two miles under the bottom of the lake it was wonderful what a different impression we carried away of chicago after this drive we should have liked now to have stayed another day to have seen some trotting races and made an expedition to pullman city the utopian village erected by mr pullman for his large colony of workers employed solely in the construction of his palace cars the clean well-paved streets the model houses with improved ventilation and sanitary methods the fine gardens and the complete absence of poverty renders the little village quite celebrated we had a letter of introduction to mr pullman through whose express permission alone the works are viewed we left chicago at noon by the chicago burlington and quincy route familiarly known as the c b and q a dining car attached to the train provided luncheon and we travelled in a pullman with inlaid and polished panels plush curtains velvet cushions and looking-glasses the heat was terrible and we gasped and panted through the long hours of the afternoon taking refuge at last on the platform outside the car sitting on camp-stools heedless of dust and grit and the deafening roar as the onrushing cars thundered over the rails willing to endure any discomfort for the chance of a breath of air in the evening at dusk we crossed the mile-long bridge over the mississippi and looked into the rolling volume of turbid waters blackie gave us a little supper neatly and cleanly served on a movable table of blackberries bread and butter cold tongue and eggs iced tea and lemonade so much nicer than the hurried meal at the railroad buffet the car was turned upside down and beds made up at nine p m we found ourselves the next morning on the muddy banks of the missouri the second of america's great rivers and unnavigable owing to the large sandbanks which form between the swift currents soon we passed council bluffs with omaha a large town on the broad plateau just opposite yesterday we were journeying through the state of illinois during the night through that of iowa and now through nebraska lincoln the capital of which we had just passed 
i believe every one from the days of early childhood from books of voyages and travel forms some vague idea of the prairies we were nearing them now and i was longing for my first sight of that vast deserted plain the blankness of desolations the scene was growing wilder and wilder dreary uninhabited expanses were succeeded by wooden shanties clustering around a small store with a few cultivated fields and low-lying marshes horses and cows were hobbled in the vicinity of the village to prevent their straying away to the plains the sunflower a smaller kind than ours flourished luxuriously in large patches but that was the only evidence of nature usually so prolific here so grim and stingy the day was cold and gloomy with frequent scuds of rain at length we seemed to leave all human habitations behind and in the majesty of loneliness we were crossing the desert on a single track in the midst of the lone prairie lands those beautiful rolling plains millions of acres covered with the short yellow buffalo grass extended the horizon in undulating lines a wide uninhabited lifeless uplifted solitude the blue of the sky overhead and the dried-up grass are the only blending of colors monotonous as they are there is the greatest fascination about the prairies involuntarily you cannot help looking for some sign of life some tree or green plant sometimes too far distant specks resolve themselves into the cattle roaming at will over the boundless plain buffaloes there are to be seen now and again but they are dying out fast the indigenous prairie dog alone remains these curious little animals are of a grayish-brown color always fat with a long body and bushy tail of a dog and the head of a ferret they scamper away at the first sign of the train to their villages uttering a short yelping bark their mounds are burrowed as much as two or three yards underground and the rattlesnakes and the boring owls are supposed always to share the home in the evening we had a grand sight when a storm swept with terrific force over the prairie a dense blackness enveloped the previously lurid sky against which the forked lightning played in jagged edges and thunder pealed overhead mingling with the rattling of hailstones the engine ploughed along we were swallowed up in darkness and gloom till the sky lightened and gradually broke and from a confused mass of purple clouds the rays of the setting sun converged into a pale gold mist on the distant hills when the storm cleared we found ourselves in the fertile little valley of the platte river the narrow stream winding and circling among green meadowland the banks fringed with waving grass and rushes a scene of quiet beauty that night we longed to see a prairie fire but i suppose such good fortune rarely happens to any traveller it must be an awful but marvellously grand scene the heavens and the horizon are first seen like a furnace and then the long line of flame banked up with dark smoke clouds 
comes sweeping on its resistless course. The wonderful thing is how they are ever checked. But most of these prairie fires are said to burn themselves out. And when they approach within two or three miles range of a settler's ranch, a counter-fire is started which eats up all before it, and joining with the greater fire, leaves it nothing to feed upon. The flames will often travel twenty miles an hour, and leap angrily into the air to a height of fifteen feet. Sometimes they are started by the careless drop of a match, or some ashes shaken from a pipe, but more often from the spark of a locomotive. It touches the grass, dry as tinder, and the breeze fans into life the little flames destined so soon to burn millions of acres. There is a very curious feature in connection with these prairie fires. So long as they rage, nothing but tufted or prairie grass will grow. But so soon as they cease, trees, shrubs, and bushes of all sorts spring up spontaneously. In fact, it ceases to be a prairie. It is an ill wind which blows nobody good. For the next year the grass comes darker and richer than ever, and strange as it seems, this burnt-up grass is the finest feeding pasture in the world for cattle and horses. With this unfulfilled wish, we lay down to sleep peacefully. End of chapter 5, part 1